morning. Please turn to James chapter 2. It's on page uh, 1012 in the Pew Bible, and it's also printed in your bulletin. We're continuing our series called Spiritual Living. And you know, the last time I preached a month ago, we um, the passage touched on the origins of sin within us, our innate desires, and today the passage is about the relationship between faith and works in salvation, which has been controversial throughout history, to say the least. So I have to ask, Mark, are you like giving me the tricky passages on purpose, or no? But um, uh, in this letter, James keeps returning to themes that he has introduced earlier. Back in chapter 1, he commands his readers to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And he also states that God regards the care, he regards care for orphans and widows, for the downtrodden of society, as a crucial part of religion. In our passage, James is once again discussing how true faith affects our lifestyle. And he brings up generosity between Christians who are wealthy and Christians who are needy. Let's read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Well, as we sang to God, to ask God to speak to us, let's pray and ask him for understanding once again. Father, you're so gracious to reveal yourself to us. You've, you've shown us what's required of us in your word and, and you give us grace to, to meet those requirements through Christ. And, and we ask in this passage that he would be magnified, that we would see our lives, that we would be transformed. We ask for your help. Billionaire Bruce Wayne returns home from his world travels in the criminal underground, hoping to turn the tide against evil in his 
city of Gotham. As he begins working his plan to spark fear by dressing up as a giant bat, he keeps everyone from suspecting the Batman's true identity by masquerading as a playboy, living a decadent nightlife. Now, this is fine, as long as he doesn't care about the opinions of the socialites around him. But when he's out, he runs into his childhood friend, Rachel. And Rachel doesn't know his secret, that he cares about the criminally oppressed people of Gotham. In her eyes, Bruce Wayne stands condemned for his indifference. And he pleads with her to believe that he he amounts to more on the inside than what she can see on the surface. But all she sees is her old friend about to get into a sports car with two foreign models. And she tells him, it's not who you are underneath, it's what you do that defines you. Think about yourself. Don't think of anyone you might consider to be a hypocrite, but look at your own life honestly, as if you're Rachel observing Bruce. Is there a disconnect between what you claim to believe, and the way you live your life. We claim to love God, but we neglect the people that are close to his heart. Claim to follow Jesus, yet we don't always obey his commands. Our life is disconnected from our faith. This passage reveals to us that saving faith will result in a growing body of evidence, good works. Or to say it another way, True faith must result in works of godly obedience. Now before we get into this, we would do well to keep in mind that this passage has confused Christians. Church fathers throughout history, names that you would recognize like Martin Luther, have tripped over this because at first it can seem like James doesn't agree with the doctrine of salvation by faith alone seems like he doesn't agree with the Apostle Paul about the means of our salvation. As Christians, we believe in the gospel that Jesus has come and obeyed God perfectly, which we cannot do. Not only that, we've, each of us, disobeyed God. We believe Jesus suffered and died, enduring the wrath of God that we deserve for disobeying him. And we believe that God accepted Jesus' obedience and his sacrifice and raised him from the dead. And all who believe this, all who place their faith in Jesus, get to have Jesus' perfect obedience counted for them as if they themselves had obeyed perfectly. The Apostle Paul says this righteousness is a gift that comes by faith alone. By grace you have been saved through faith. And not of works, lest any of us should boast. But James places an inescapable emphasis on works. Does that contradict the idea of faith alone? As we move through this passage, I hope you'll see that it doesn't. James is simply claiming that true faith will evidence itself in works of godly obedience. It must. And in order to see this, we're going to simply follow his train of thought through these verses. We're going to see dead faith. We're going to see demon faith. And we're going to see demonstrated faith. So first... Dead faith. If your faith stays in the realm of ideas and never results in real-world obedience, your faith is not alive. It's not a faith that saves you. 
Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is no good. Just as the well-wishing without fulfilling a need is no good. Maybe you're aware that over the past few months, there's been a lot of anger directed toward thoughts and prayers. Especially toward politicians sending their thoughts and prayers toward those who have been struck by tragedy. Politicians have to release those statements, right? And people get angry because thoughts and prayers seem disingenuous. If it seems like the people expressing them have the power to actually prevent tragedies and aren't preventing them. Well, if you have the ability to meet the needs of a brother or sister, and you just wish them well, dismissing them without a real care, well, that's as good as faith without works. This theme of the rich and the poor is one that James deeply cares about in this letter. He's mentioned it twice before, and he'll bring it up again. Disregarding the needs of the poor is it doesn't come from heart of faith. And it isn't like the person in this illustration is not aware of the needs of their brother or sister because their, their salutation addresses the very things that are necessary, clothing and food. Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Farewell, may you find something to wear and something to eat. Good luck. Faith without works without obedience and compassion, is dead. And now James anticipates an objection. And he develops his statement by pointing to demon faith. He says that believing the facts of faith is distinct from faith that shows itself to be true. Look at verses 18 and 19. Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith, by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. Shudder. Now we should quickly note that these verses are actually a little tough to interpret. Actually, this has been called one of the most difficult New Testament passages. And the reason is that these convenient quotation marks that we have here in verse 18, they're not used in Greek. So when you translate this to English, you have to decide how much to put in quotations. Which which part is the objection that James is describing? And we could get lost and confused exploring all those options, but we're not going to do that. We're going to rest in saying that the essence of this objection is insisting, no, no, James, faith and works, they're, they're two separate concerns. And some believers have the works to show their faith, and some don't, and both approaches are okay. And who are you to judge whether... Someone's faith is real. James's answer is that dormant, inactive faith has as much substance as the faith of demons, those spiritual creatures who are marked by rebellion and disobedience against God. Remember that James is writing to Jewish Christians. This is probably one of the earliest Christian letters written. So many of those who heard this letter, they would have grown up keeping the Jewish faith, even as Jesus did and then become followers of Jesus. 
When James says you believe that God is one, he's referring to something that every Jew would have recognized, a declaration about God from the Old Testament. It's called the Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy 6.4. And this statement opposed and discredited all the many gods that were worshipped by the nations around Israel. This is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So James is saying, oh, you, you believe God is one? That's good. He might even be a little sarcastic. That's nice. Even the demons believe, and they shake in their boots. So even the demons can assent to the Shema. So what? Faith without works is dead. Mere belief that doesn't result in obedience is false. One of the most disheartening conversations I ever had in my life uh, was with a girl I knew from high school. We were messaging online later when I was in college. And I was just getting into a book about God's sovereignty. I was very interested um, in reading this book that I found out about. It was about you know, God's rule over the world and, and its circumstances. Now, I was at Bible college, and she was not. But I found out that one of her professors had recommended this very same book. Now, this was someone who I had hoped would become a Christian ever since high school. And as we're messaging, I find out that partly thanks to this book, she now also believes in the sovereignty of God. So at first I'm thinking, you know, this is great. This, she's found God at last. And, and I have a sappy imagination, so I'm thinking we can get back together because that's the little twist in the stories that we used to date in high school. And maybe we'll end up married. Who knows? I'm telling you, sap central right here. (laughs) But, no, something is off. Why isn't she expressing this new belief like it's a good thing? And suddenly it hits me that she does believe in God's sovereignty. But she isn't believing as a person who loves his wise rule and who worships him as God. She doesn't believe like someone who trusts that God's ways are far above our ways and that he has our good in mind. She hasn't found faith. No, she's found a deeper philosophical reason to be bitter and to blame God for the hardships that she's experienced in her life. And, of course, I was horrified and really sad for her. That's no better than the faith of demons. Even the demons can agree with true statements. You can believe all the true things. You can have your doctrine perfectly squared away. You can even obey coldly. You can seem to obey while your heart opposes God. But how you relate to truth matters. Do you buckle under it or do you love it? Whether you obey God from a heart of faith, out of love, it matters. And now, still answering this objection, James is going to illustrate for us how faith is demonstrated. We've seen dead faith. We've seen the faith of demons. Now we'll, we'll see demonstrated faith. True faith. The faith that saves us. The faith that allows us to stand before God. It shows itself to be genuine through our works. Let's read verses 20-24 through 24 once again. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, 
that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now I want to stop there for a few minutes. James, once again, he's assuming that his Jewish listeners will know what he's talking about. So for everyone's benefit here, let's recap really quick the two events in Abraham's life that he's addressing. Earlier in their service, Christine read that God promised Abraham an heir and countless offspring despite his old age. And we heard the scripture that James quotes in verse 23. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. But Abraham's faith is tested and proved later. After part of the promise comes true and Abraham's wife gives birth to his son Isaac, Abraham's commanded by God to offer his son as a sacrifice, to kill him as a burnt offering. And Abraham obeys. He, he keeps the faith that God will fulfill this promise he made, but he goes through with this. And if you don't know how the story ends, you'll be happy to know that before he can slaughter his son, God stops him. He had the faith that leads to obedience. There was Abraham's initial belief that God counted as righteousness. And then James tells us that the scripture about his belief was fulfilled by his obedience. His faith was made complete. And then James jumps centuries ahead for another example. Verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now maybe this story is a bit more obscure than Abraham. When Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel, are preparing to conquer the land that God has promised to them, their leader Joshua sends two spies to the city of Jericho. And this prostitute named Rahab shelters them and hides them and keeps them from being caught by the king's men. And she helps them escape because she knows that God is with the people of Israel. She has heard the story about how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. So she knows that this is the one true God. So she helps the spies escape, but not before they promise to spare her and her household from the oncoming destruction. And eventually Jericho was destroyed. But Rahab and her household were spared and lived among God's people. And she's even mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus' father, Joseph, later on. Her belief in God was demonstrated by her works. Now, what James says in verse 26 to complete his thought is interesting. Um, let's read verse 26. For, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, it's always seemed to me like James flipped that somehow, like he arranged the words backwards or something, and maybe it seems odd to some of you. I'm, I'm, I'm always like, James, shouldn't it be, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so works apart from faith are dead? 
No, James says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. And we, we have this mindset that the, the works that we do are outside. They're on the surface. And faith is something that dwells inside. But according to James, it's the faith that you claim that's a dead, empty shell. Unless it's filled and completed by good work. So is it becoming clear that James isn't talking about hollow displays? He doesn't have reluctant obedience in mind. We don't make a show of good works to prove that we are Christians or to earn God's favor. Rather, he's describing the results of the change that happens when you become a Christian. You're given a new nature, a nature that desires to please God, a nature that grows to love others more, a nature that wants to obey as Jesus obeyed. Jesus said that his food was to do the will of his Father. He delighted that much to obey his Father. Do you find yourself identifying more with him in that way? Yes, it's true that if you're a Christian, Christ obeyed on your behalf. He's fulfilled all righteousness. There's nothing you can do to earn his favor. We're only able to stand before God because Jesus' righteousness is reckoned to our account thanks to what he's accomplished in the past. But there are good works for you as a Christian that you've been ordained to today. That brother or sister who is in need right in front of you, Jesus wants to help them by using you to meet that need. So here's what James has revealed to us in this passage. We've seen dead faith. If your faith stays in this realm of ideas, it never results in obedience. Your faith is not alive. We've looked at the faith, the faith of demons, believing the facts of faith not enough by itself. And we've examined how faith must be demonstrated. Everyone from Abraham, the father of the faith, to Rahab, who is someone who joined God's people from among strangers, has everyone has had faith that showed itself to be genuine through their works. So what does this all mean for us? Well, first, if you're hearing this and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that's what God is calling you to do. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has lived and died obediently on your behalf if you will turn away from disobeying God and trust in Christ. Don't try to earn God's acceptance. You must not rely on good works to save you, but put your faith in Christ alone. He will take your sin. He will give you His righteousness so that you can stand accepted by God. And you'll know His love and you'll know the transformed heart that you've been hearing about. If you're here and you're a Christian and your faith in Christ has transformed you and results in an abundance of good works and you find it, you find it easy to obey God's commands, showing compassion on the downtrodden and regularly giving generously of your, yourself and your wealth to meet the needs of others, if that comes easy to you, will you tell me your secret? No, if that, if that is true of you, then that's great. And praise God for his work in your life. But I suspect that many more of us hear this scripture and we ask, my faith dead? Maybe you find God's commands burdensome to obey. 
Maybe you aren't growing very much in kindness and generosity, in love toward others. Let me encourage you that the Spirit of God is working in you as God's child. Even this morning, He will always complete the good work that He started in His children. If you want to grow in compassion, in works of generosity and love that are fueled by God's grace, start with looking at how God has treated you. Meditate on the compassion that he had in sending Jesus to redeem you. We were unable to help ourselves, utterly destitute. You, you cannot get more poor and needy than to be dead in your sins. But he gave up his riches to come here and live and die in your place. He gave up the riches of his fellowship with God and took your sin upon himself. And in doing that, he experienced God's wrath so that you could escape that wrath and have fellowship with God. And if you believe that, let that truth spur you on to love others as you have been loved. You've been made alive. But you're not alone. Because not only is God's Spirit at work in you, you have examples, such as these two in this passage, of those who have gone before you. And you also have your brothers and sisters here. Let me read something from the letter to the Hebrews. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are to get each other riled up to love and good works. It's not a solo endeavor. It's always happening in community, in the body, the family of Christ. Even this scripture, it's from your Christian brother, James, who is speaking to you through the ages, telling you these truths, that faith without works is dead. There's so much potential in in the world. There's so much need for the good works of the people of God. Isn't that true? God doesn't just redeem us so that the world can stay just as bleak, just as dark, just as evil. He redeems us for obedience, and his commands are for his glory and our good and for the benefit of the world. We have to know what his commands are. Mark says it every week when he preaches. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, his ways, we have to know his word. He's revealed himself. If you want to know God's heart, you can, you can know it. You'll see his compassion for the world. And then you'll be ready to serve the world as one who loves Jesus Christ. We sang... In the first verse of Speak, O Lord, take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. People say, if, if there's a God, then why is there so much suffering and evil in this world? Well, go work against it. Let's alleviate suffering if we're able to. Let's not let our thoughts and prayers just be meaningless. But really, you can start right here with your church family. The Apostle Paul says, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's James's heart as well. If you're in Christ, you and your faith will be truly alive. Let's pray. Father, we ask that the grace you've shown us would transform us, that we would be so grateful um, and so eager 
to show that grace to others. We ask that you would make us more like Christ who delighted to obey you. We just ask uh, for your help as we go out. Jesus.